Today's episode of the Mets Up Podcast is sponsored by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. First off, that's huge. And that's what we use here on the Mets Up Podcast. I highly suggest it. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your own phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other streaming services. And you're allowed to make money from your podcast from day one with no minimum listenership. It's literally everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So make sure you guys download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. What is up, Mets fans? Welcome back to episode number 100 of the Mets Up Podcast presented by the Seven Line. Yes, big 100, 100, triple digits. Now, we said we were going to have some big news. It's coming next week, maybe. We have meetings this week, so when we are able to announce it, we will. But of course, the Mets did just wrap up a series in which they won against the Los Angeles Angels, took two of three. Of course, there was a poop fest sprinkled in there. We will talk about all the games, all the details, everything you guys always come to this podcast for. We will continue on with that here in episode 100, as well as we have a little bit of a mailbag coming at the end to thank you guys for being amazing listeners and viewers, 100 episodes in. And I've got some 100th episode trivia and facts for you guys that we'll throw in and we'll have some fun with. So if you guys do enjoy what we do over here, make sure you're following us on our social media, at MetsUp on Twitter, Instagram. We will be having a TikTok soon, the YouTube channel, Mets that's the podcast as well if you want to see a video version of it and if you're listening to us apple podcast spotify google podcast wherever you find us drop us a rating drop us a review it really does help out shout out to all the people who've been dropping reviews recently we see you out there now without further ado let's go ahead and bring in james james how you doing what's up dude i'm doing great a Long nice weekend. a nice sunday night win yes and the mets just kind of winning easily against the angels we'll talk more about it but it was nice to watch Sunday Night Baseball and not be completely stressed. Yeah, the Angels aren't a team that have a lot to throw at you. The Angels have people to throw at you and have like a very high, good tier of good players. And that's basically it. You kind of don't have to worry about them for like three or four innings a game. No, which is nice. Especially when they don't play Shohei Otani yeah. like they did in Game 3, which was a, a gift from the baseball gods. They said, oh... Two of the best players in baseball, how about you only face them in the same lineup in one game? And what do you know, that was the game we lost. Absolutely, yeah, right? Literally. The game where both Trout and Otani played was the worst game of the series, the one that we lost. And again, we'll go into more detail on that. Which Where do we want to start, though? That's a good question. I didn't even think about it. Let's start late. with Game 3. Let's start with the Sunday Night Baseball. I feel like that's what everyone wants to hear the initial reaction of. And I feel like, at the start, we have to bring up Taiwan Walker, who was an absolute bulldog. He went back to that old bulldog form that we saw last year, where the dude was gritty, battled it out, and gave us a really great performance. You say he went back to the old form bulldog Taiwan, but what we're seeing from Taiwan, I've been alluding to this for the last few episodes, is kind of a metamorphosis of a pitcher here. Taiwan Walker has now become a guy who is more, significantly more reliant on off-speed pitches than fastballs, which is something that is a far cry from the pitcher he once was. And it's not a bad thing either. No. It's actually been way better it's for a great him. great thing. Especially because if you guys are following Mike Petriello, who we've spoke about on this podcast many times, one of the smart baseball minds out there, drop him a follow on Twitter. He was talking about after the first inning, which Taiwan did give up a first inning run, mm-hmm. he was talking about how Taiwan's four-seam fastball, the K-rate just in general, tanks because the four seam just doesn't get the swing and misses and he wasn't throwing the split change as much but in the second inning he went from 20 percent to 40 percent and he struck out the side 
And that fastball from Taiwan Walker is four-seamer. It's not really the prototypical four-seam shape that you want. It's not really... It doesn't have good ride. It kind of has more cut than anything else, which is weird. It doesn't have elite spin. It has above-average velocity, though. That's the calling card. But, again, Taiwan Walker has found himself in this split changeup and has made him a significantly more viable pitcher over the last month or so. Pete Alonso referred to... This adding from Taiwan is him using his big boy stuff. I like that. Which, that was a good phrase there. I like big boy stuff. We're going to keep probably start incorporating that into the show. And the first inning was scary. Like you mentioned, four balls in play over 100 miles an hour. One being not. And of course, it was an RBI single by Mike Trout. That looked like he got more of it off the bat. Yeah, it just must have been off the end of the yeah, bat. A little bit, or I think it was the handle. Yeah, a little bit more of a flare than anything. And that's coming off against the performance against the Padres in which Taiwan just was good. But balls were being hit hard, so we were like, man, it's happening again. But kind of similarly, he had a rougher start to that game and then found his way into a couple innings where he was able to cruise and get six out of them. But after that first inning tonight, like I said, the four balls in play over 100 miles an hour, he was totally locked in. You mentioned before Petriello threw more split changes in the second inning, struck out the side. No issues in the third, had that great pickoff of Brandon Marsh. Sick pickoff. Sneaky, one of the better right-handed moves I've seen in baseball this year. Two, he put, allowed two guys to get on a walk and a single in the fourth, but also struck out. I'm not, I don't like saying they struck out the side when more guys came to the plate, but he struck out three in the fourth inning again, and he didn't allow any base runners in the fifth or sixth to get through six incredibly clean innings. One run ball with 10 strikeouts against quiet, the Angels. Quiet 10 strikeouts. Silent 10 strikeouts in six innings, but I've been talking about it for weeks now, probably a little over a month. Taiwan pushing this split change up is very, very, very important. On May 28th, it was the first time all year he'd even thrown the same amount of split changes as fastballs, and since then, now it's four starts in a row where Taiwan has thrown more split changes than fastballs. That pitch last night, when you guys are listening to this Monday, nine whiffs on 17 swings, long five called strikes. It was ducking out of the bottom of the zone all night, and even his fastball got five whiffs and slider four to go along that split change. So as that split change continues to lead the way for Taiwan, I think it's very clearly his best pitch, his most whiffable pitch, and it's turning him into... Someone who was better than the guy I thought he was a month ago. It allows for that fastball to have a little bit more life when you're seeing that split change tumble in at, what, 86, 87 miles an hour and with that a, nasty movement. And it's at least a way to kind of hide that fastball because he's throwing the split change as a primary pitch. And the fact he's able to get whiffs and called strikes with it, he can kind of throw in any count. He was throwing it to any count. It moves more top to bottom instead of left to right. So he's throwing against righties and lefties. The pitch is a weapon. And it, you got to throw this back to Jeremy Hefner again. Like... Sprinkling all his little fairy dust on Taiwan Walker. Turn, kind of changing the entire way he was as a pitcher in less than a year. I think you were in the bathroom during this, but they were talking on the broadcast about Buck and how much he loves Jeremy Hefner. And of course, Buck's no dummy. We know how good Hefner's been. We've been a huge proponent of his on this podcast since the start. But Buck was saying like, yeah, I got here. And I was just like, oh, this dude's really good. He knows his stuff. And all he cares about is living, breathing, pitching. It's crazy that Jeremy Hefner has been here. Had Jeremy Hefner has been here going through a change of ownership, a change in general manager, and a change in manager. And he's managed to survive all three of those things. There's yeah. not many coaches in baseball at any level who would survive any of those things. He's just good. Everybody, really good. everybody who watches this guy goes, oh, he knows something, and he gets the most out of these players. And more than that, listening to the way that guys talk about him, his current pitchers, his former pitchers, guys we played on teams with, they're like, he is really smart, and he's very good at relating this information to players in a way that's not daunting or scary or intimidating. Yeah, that's what Trevor May told us in the offseason interview. He was giving rave reviews of Jeremy Hefner, as you would expect. The dude is just one of the smarter pitching minds in all of baseball. Martin Perez, he hasn't 
worked with Jeremy Hefner in years, and he still gives him credit. Yeah, I mean, he's really good, and I think it's really showing with Taiwan, this evolution, this change. The split change came out of nowhere, and, and it's become a filthy pitch. The four-seamer did, too, because last year was two-seamer, two-seamer, two-seamer yeah. slider, two-seamer slider. Taiwan Walker is a completely different pitcher than the guy who was last year, a full year ago, before the All-Star break, when he was an All-Star, one of the statistically better pitchers in the National League. And they scrapped everything. He dealt with multiple injuries, yeah. and now he's come back with a whole new repertoire. He's getting guys out. No, Taiwan's been fantastic. Big like help. you said, 10Ks, and we needed it. When we have DeGrom and Scherzer out, this is a guy we need to step up, and he really has. Especially after, we'll talk about it more, but Carrasco kind of got touched up on Saturday and Friday. You burned Tyler McGill and David Peterson, a piggyback situation. There wasn't really anybody to bail Taiwan out tonight if something no. would have gone wrong. Trevor Williams threw one inning on Saturday. But after that first inning, we were looking at each other like, I really hope this doesn't get bad because I don't know who's going to pitch. Yeah, we had no idea. And luckily, Taiwan figured it he out. At all. He, he handled Mike Trout right after that. I think he struck him out in the next at bat. He was pretty dominant. Yeah, good, great, great job from Taiwan. And like that there's tangible changes that are going into these performances. And for the Mets on the offensive side, the bats were good enough. They yeah. were by no means great like they were in game one, which we will talk about, of course. But they handled Patrick Sandoval in that bullpen enough to scratch out a win. And Patrick Sandoval is good. I hope a lot of people who, a lot of us fans who watch tonight maybe haven't seen that much Patrick Sandoval. Maybe you're not obsessed with baseball. You're not staying up to watch 10 o'clock game, Angels versus the A's. Maybe you're not in 14 fantasy baseball leagues. <laughs> Maybe you see Patrick Sandoval's stats in the bottom line. You're like, oh, I guess that guy's pretty good. But you could just see the way that he plays that fastball and changeup off of each other. Sitting on the uh, on his arm side, it's very impressive stuff. Yeah, Mets hitters were having fits all night with that changeup. The changeup is a really, really good yeah, pitch. Yeah, guys are consistently fishing, righties and lefties. But Starling Marte first came back after his little quad flare-up from earlier this week. Had an RBI double in the third inning. Also had another hit and a walk. Looked very good. Also, big shout out to Phil Nevin for playing yes. Tyler Wade, an infielder, in center field instead of Brandon Marsh, who will probably be a guy who could win a gold glove at some point in his career at center field. Maybe it's not win a gold glove, at least be formidable out there. Yeah, it just it made zero sense. No, They none. refused to put Brandon Marsh in center field for some reason. There were a couple plays that Tyler Wade, probably more experienced seasoned center fielder, would have made rather than just the fastest guy in the team, as if this was Little League. But... I digress. J.D. Davis also had a home run. His at-bats have still looked incredibly good, and he's a guy who I really think has such an opportunity to run with the five spot in this lineup and getting regular DH at-bats. I hope that keeps moving in that direction. Pete scored on a wild throw home for Matt Duffy, who's inexplicably playing second base, too. Yeah, which (laughs) the Angels seemingly like to play nobody in the position that they're meant to play. And this play was funny because it was like a backhanded pick on a slow roller and Joey Cora, crazy crazy individual just sent Pete home I go don't, for it no Marte he sent Marte home on that oh, I thought Pete scored in this one no oh, Pete, Pete hit the, the hit. ball right, yeah, and yeah. Marte was coming around to score and he should have been dead to rights a yeah. good throw he's out by 35 feet but Joey even Cora even just like kind of a bad throw yeah yeah, like just like a one hopper <laughs> so skipped up like the that. line from the second base bag and then Pete later in the game had a big fly to seal this in the top of the ninth Joey Cora man that guy is the complete opposite of what we saw with DeSarcina the last few years where it's like he doesn't send anybody how many games can we remember where DeSarcina doesn't send someone on a close play Joey Cora is like eh, if, it's a little, it's, if it's 50-50 send him if it's 40-60 send him 30-70 I'll think about it it's almost like team dependent we've talked about this before a lot of teams just don't really have a, like a good baseball player at every position and the Angels do not definitely definitely do not they only have a good baseball player like four positions ish kind of on a given day so if you can't make a throw or make a catch like you're scoring on that so you might as well push the envelope and the Mets didn't it worked out I just said it briefly but we're kind of talking over each other Pete big home run the ninth inning to put this game away 
NL leader in home runs and RBIs, I believe. Yeah. And only two RBIs off of Jose Ramirez for the league lead if you're trailing the messed up podcast. And as Carl Ravage said, he should be starting at first base over Freddie Freeman yes. and Paul Goldschmidt. He definitely deserves over Freddie. Yeah. He's having a much better year. But <laughs> so Paul Goldschmidt might not be. Carl, Carl Ravage, known Freddie Freeman, Paul Goldschmidt, hater. He believes one of them does not deserve a trip to the All-Star game. So you heard it here first. Well, Pete deserves an over Freddie Freeman without a doubt. Pete deserves over both of them without yeah. a doubt. Pete's- Everyone vote for the All-Star game. Vote for the All-Star game. Pete, Mets, Lindor, Luis Guillorme right in. Make sure you get the Guillorme right ins. We'll talk about him more later. But the really cool part of this game, honestly, came in the eighth inning. Yeah. And in the eighth, we saw Seth Lugo get an out, and then he walked Brandon Marsh on what was one of the weirdest pitching sequences I've ever seen for a guy who hits in front of Mike Trout. He walked him on four pitches that almost looked like a pitch around. With a two-run lead. With a two-run lead. Mike Trout comes to the plate, and Buck comes out and brings in Edwin Diaz, which is now the second time we've seen Buck made the right pitching decision from the bullpen in the eighth inning for Diaz to get more outs. This was a masterclass. And David Cohn, ruthless Coney, friend of the puck program, he 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 was a little tongue-in-cheek. He was like, wow, there was a time when Buck would have left his closer out there, even in a tie game. So this is a good, good, good coming of a, I don't know, good learning process for him. Yes, this shows growth. This yes. is process. Process. Good process. Good process there. And Edwin Diaz proceeded to gas up Mike Trout 100, 102. Sit down, Mike Trout. Edwin Diaz was disgusting. He didn't have the slider even. No, and he even said after the game that Nito called the fastball. He was like, oh, and that was the high one that Trout didn't swing, the first pitch of the at-bat. And Nito kept putting it down. He was like, I'm going to let it fly. And he did. That was prime world baseball classic Edwin Diaz. Now whenever Edwin Diaz comes in the game and we're here at the apartment, I I put on Narcos. I start playing the trumpets because this guy, as long as there's trumpets somewhere, he's untouchable. And you could just tell by him not having any fear to throw multiple fastballs just basically down the middle of the Mike Trout. That's a confident Edwin Diaz. That is not the Edwin Diaz that was putting his hand up and freaking out the second a bat hit the ball. This This is Edwin Diaz who believes he can get these guys out and who is getting them out. Growth. 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 Process. Process. Edwin Diaz is just simply one of the best closers in the game. A five-out save with five Ks. Fuck you, Alden Gonzalez, whatever your name is. Oh, that awful tweet. Yeah, oh my God. This tweet was horrendous. I don't even... I know what he's doing. He's baiting Mets fans. But here's the difference now. We're good. We're good. There's nothing to bait. It's it, We're a good team. I don't get... I mean, I know why, but it's just... It's a bad tweet. I'll let you read it, James. So, Alden Gonzalez, who is an MLB reporter for ESPN. Shocker. That Buck Showalter can say whatever he wants about not worrying about the rest of the NL East. But I'm here to tell you that it's June and the end of a long road trip and Edwin Diaz might be coming out for a five-out save. These are like three different sentences that don't have anything to do with each other. And the tweet still doesn't, it's like doesn't, the idea is not completed. No, it's not. What's it's the, a, I don't understand the problem of bringing out your closer for a five-out save and a, during a baseball game. It, the Yankees never used Mariano Rivera in a five-out save during their great World Series runs. They've no, Some it, of the greatest closers have never done a five-out save in their life. Let's have an off day tomorrow. Who cares about a five-out save? What the hell's the big deal? Edwin Diaz threw like, what, 30 pitches, I think? Like, Maybe 25? He's going to be okay. And if that's the right move, that's the move that should be made. And also to the Buck Showalter thing about not caring about the rest of the NL East, I think he's 100% right. If the Mets win games and play the baseball that they've been playing, they're going to be okay. You can't worry about the other teams. Worry about yourself. It's also the manager of a baseball team. And you're, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, the Braves look great. I'm really worried about them. The Phillies have been hot, too. Yeah, what, what, who the fuck's going to say that? Who do you want him to say? You want him to just all of a sudden be scared. like, I, I, I really hope we can keep these teams away. You're like, oh, I've heard a lot about these Mets curses from over the years. I'm really upset to be a part of it. What a dumb 
tweet. And luckily, it's getting ratioed. Which, yes. Good. You deserve that, Alden Gonzalez. Thank God the Mets closed this out. And won it. <laughs> I had to stop you. I had to stop yeah. you. You were ready to quote tweet him. It started chirping. I said, we got we got to finish this game yeah. first. We got three more outs. We know that this game's far from over. But Pete hit the home run, too. So whatever. Chill. Yeah. It was awesome. Four good Mets. way to end the road trip. Of course, it's not how we're going to end the episode. We still have other games to talk about. But as we know, this made it 5-5 five and five on the road trip. Yes. Which is what we said, well, you said mostly, we would love a 5-5 yes. five and five road trip. That, that would be up. a really, really good one. And they did. And what's crazy is they won two against the Dodgers, tied yeah. for the most wins against any of the teams on this road trip. Yeah, right. Just the Padres. I guess that was just come, kind of came back to starting pitching. It, you're just going to lose games. Sometimes you lose games, especially when the Padres have like 35 wins. It's not like they're horrible by yeah, any means. We, we can wrap up the road trip after we go wrap up these games. Yeah, so let's go ahead, jump to game one then, because let's keep it. Let's keep the vibes high here. Let's talk about some wins on the Apple TV broadcast, which, thank goodness, Wayne Randazzo had the play-by-play. It was Wayne Randazzo, Hunter Pence, Katie Nolan. Katie Nolan, whatever. I don't, I don't really know what her purpose is on the broadcast. She, I don't even think she's that big of a baseball gal. I don't think so either. I thought it was like basketball. I think she's a popular uh, personality. And she, does, she does well on the Snapchat, yeah, on the Sports the, Center Snapchat. Exactly. And I think she's she's fun. Yeah. She was more like pop culture, it felt like, in this uh, broadcast. And I think Hunter Pence is a weirdo. I think there's just no other way around it. But Wayne Randazzo, it was nice to have someone who actually knew how to call a game. Because you could you could listen to this Apple podcast. It was tolerable. Apple podcast? Oh, Apple. Oh, yeah. I'm thinking about us too much. Apple broadcast. TV broadcast. It was tolerable. Yeah. And at the end of the day, this game, we were just simply better than the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. And like, it started with Tyler McGill on the mound, who made his first appearance back, back home in California as well. Yes. Shout out to Mama McGill. We know basically, she's listening. Basically the whole fam there. Yeah, the whole family was there. And while he wasn't Tyler at the start of the year, for a guy who came back after not really pitching for a couple weeks, he it's good. It's a good start. The word is encouraging. I think this was an encouraging return from Tyler McGill. He topped out 99 miles an hour, which is a place that he sat in the beginning of the year, and that's really good. And that whole first inning when he came back, he was sitting 97 through 99. Mets fans were like, all right, we got him back. That's it. But you kind of got the whole like Tyler McGill full season experience inside of these only whatever 50, 45 pitches even wound up throwing. Because after the first inning, the velocity tapered off somewhat significantly. He threw his six hardest pitches all in that first inning. And afterwards, once we got to the second, third, and even the fourth, he was dipping like 95, 96, was ending out sitting in that 94 range. So it seems like Tyler, while he does have that elite top end, if he's going to stay a consistent starter in this rotation, he probably needs to just control like the adrenaline early, be able to sit rather than peak and valley. It also might just be still kind of getting the arm hot, you know? Yeah. Oh, definitely. I think that's part of it, too. We saw Taiwan in Game 3 start at 95, end at 95. Yeah. That's huge. That's huge, especially for a guy who's had arm problems. Also probably comes with experience. For sure. sure. Taiwan was younger. He was such a big guy, just like Ty Lohr. You just come out, you you want to see that 99. You want to see that 100. And he's home in front of all his fans and friends and family for, like, first game. Yeah, I'm sure he was juiced up, and that's why we were seeing some high radar guns. But it was also encouraging that we saw some whiffs on the slider and changeup as well. Yeah, each of them had two. Wasn't even out there that long, like I said. So this was an encouraging return from Tyler McGill, but this is not uh, not Tyler's McGill, as Nick Pollock would call him. This is not like Sylor McGill, as we were saying earlier in the year. But this is this is a good performance from someone who might be more of a weapon than a starter moving forward. David Peterson piggybacked off of him, which is an interesting dynamic that could work, I think, for the future. I kind of like it. I would do this one time a week for these two guys. So that was great. And Peterson. Still decent. That slider, man. That slider's come a long, long way. He was getting whiffs on it all night. Five on nine swings. And just, I think he threw like a two and two-thirds innings, two and a third innings. Yeah, you know, he had a really 
fine performance. Exactly what we needed in a game where the Mets were kind of in control the entire night. Yeah, and each of them only allowed two hard hit balls against the Angels lineup that, like we said, is not deep, but is top heavy. So there are some guys who can do damage, and both of these guys were able to limit it. And we got a gift in this game, too, because, like we said, Trout and Otani only in the lineup for one game with each other. Trout was not in for game one. He was fighting an injury. Good for baseball that he's back. Yeah, happy, happy for that. Happy we also got to miss him in a game. That's also yes. huge. Win win. We saw what he can do against the Mets, and we'll talk about that in game two. Nice to miss him. Brandon Marsh, though, was the thorn in our side. That was the only problem with Tyler and David Peterson the whole night. They just couldn't get Brandon Marsh out. And it happened again, I believe, in game three. And game two. Brandon and Marsh. Game two didn't get any hits. I think I walked a few times. Yeah, I was saying, he was just yeah. an on-base machine this Guys entire series. He's a good ball player. He's a good ball player. He'll, he'll make it. Yeah, no, he'll be fine. He's definitely like the better of their prospects that have come up recently. He's a guy who stays in the league probably a while. I also like him. I saw on Twitter a video of him. I think Anthony Rendon or Tyler Wade or somebody was talking to him. They're like, man, you're a weird dude. He's like, yeah, I know I'm weird. And then he just did a Chewbacca noise, which I thought was awesome. <laughs> That's funny. That's a fun guy right there. So, yeah, the Mets were playing really well. I also got to give a shout out to Guillaume, who was making plays all night long in the field. They were drooling over him on the broadcast. Vote Guillaume for the All-Star game. There's a 0% chance he gets in, but it'll be cool if we get enough votes because there's about, I don't know, three, 4,000 of you that listen to this podcast. If each of you use your five votes every single day for a write-in of Luis Guillorme, we can make at least Luis Guillorme's name get mentioned yes. as an all-star. At least put him on the list. So this is our official cry. Our cry, our proclamation to vote Luis Guillorme write-in for the all-star. I don't know what position you're going to put him in because Jeff McNeil and all those guys deserve to go in too. Yeah, I mean, wherever you want. DH, third base. The Mets don't really have a third base option for the all-star game, so I've been writing him in there. Or you can put him in catcher. You could put him in, really? Uh, yeah, you could write his name in at the catcher spot. That doesn't make any sense. Just write in Luis Guillorme wherever you can. Anywhere you want. Anywhere you want. He deserve- votes. Is that going to change the voting process if he's getting votes at different positions? I don't know. That would re- We're getting deep into it. That'd be an annoying loophole. I'd have to write a strongly worded letter to the Major League office. He might have a chance as a catcher. Does he have to start at catcher if he wins as a write-in starter as the catcher? To drop off our proclamation at the league office <laughs> in Midtown. Oh, we're getting sidetracked. But this is what happens on a Sunday night episode when it's midnight. We're yeah. trying to figure out what's going on. I got bike back to Brooklyn. The rest of the bats were good, though. Nimmo, Canna looking good, which was nice. Nimmo finally started to look like his old self after the injury, which was nice. Kind of like a weird week in between for Nimmo. It wasn't really hitting. But him and Canna hitting 1-2. Each had two hits, one walk, and three RBIs. Which Nimmo just, hit the home run. Yes, hilarious. So it's three of the stats, exactly the same for each of them. Nilo had the Mets' other RBI in this game. Every single player in the lineup had a hit. In each of the five, six, seven, eight, and nine hitters all score the run. Escobar, McNeil, JD, Guillorme, and Nido. And, and we got Francisco Lindor, three hard hit balls. I was about to say, don't forget Lindor, three no, hard hit balls. Because Lindor's bat has been a little hot and cold at points this year, but he is still swinging it well. You said it to me during game three. Feels like Lindor's been hitting the ball really hard this road trip. Just unlucky. That's fine. Still, everything else still going well. Defense has come together beautifully for Francisco. And then for the bullpen, Drew Smith, Joely, Adovino, Edwin. Zero hard hit balls. Nice and easy. The Mets Great. won this game easily, like you said at the beginning. We're just simply a better team. Yeah. The only issue, Joely just wasn't really throwing strikes here. So he's been kind of on a cold strike throwing streak right now. So yeah. that's, that's not great. Not great. We need him to get back. Also, mistelling an anecdote from just before this game that I wanted to mention. Maybe they dropped it. I don't remember what game they dropped before, but I want to say it before I forget. But apparently, as the Angels losing streak was reaching its boiling point, they were trying to do weird, funky things to uh, to kind of break it, break them out of it. And we mentioned last episode that I think on their th- day of their 13th loss in a row, they all played Nickelback as their walk-up songs. Which is awesome. Yeah, Shohei Otani and Photograph, which is hilarious. <laughs> so the next day or the day after that, Joe Madden to try and, you know, spark the boys who's been fired decided to shave his head into a mohawk and he came in with a mohawk 
on the day that he would be let go, and the team never saw it. Poor Joe Madden. That, See, that story made me feel bad. That one makes me feel bad for him. Like, did he deserve to get fired? 100%. They, I don't think he's a very good manager. But, but that, that's sad. That He was willing to do whatever it took for the boys to get a win. Could you imagine, like, sad Joe Madden sitting in his car after that with his mohawk? <laughs> oh, makes me sad he had it all spiked up too that's yeah. like it probably went from there to just like being like flaccid yeah, and like no, hanging just, around and joe madden like of course the game has passed him by a little bit but he's still like a one of the like quintessential managers of this generation i'll remember joe madden's name forever he's a cool baseball mind yeah he also he, he broke kinda, history he did he kind of ushered in this era of being a little less like stringent old school all that bullshit so that that story about joe madden made me sad also i just don't like sad old people sad no. old people makes me sad. sad old people are some of the saddest things makes me out so there. sad like they should be happy they're old they did it all they experienced life joe madden the mohawk I think that's probably the last time he ever gets it. He's going to see Mohawks now and yell at people in the streets. Cut your fucking hair, kid. <laughs> I feel bad. Life's too short to get a Mohawk. That made me so sad. Let's talk about game two, though. The Poop Fest. We are a lock for one Poop Fest a series. It's unbelievable. I'm really getting sick and tired of this term, but I also do love it a little bit. It's, it's kind of great. It's very juvenile. It's it was, very funny. It was born out of nothing. I just wrote it in the notes for fun. Now we're just sticking. The Angels just crushed us. It's yeah. simple. The bats showed up. Jared Walsh had a cycle. We've now been involved in two games in the last week that had a cycle, which I don't know when the last time that happened. I think Walsh, this is also the second cycle of his career, if I remember correctly. I have no idea on that one. I think he's had one before. We're not going to check. It's 12-15. Mike Trout, two home runs to remind everybody how good he is. Otani had a home run that was freaking laced and yeah. a double that was also laced. Each of those guys had three hard hit balls apiece. They were just, the Angels just hit better in this game. You see how much more difficult this team is to handle when you have Mike Trout and Otani along with Rendon and Jared Walsh in that lineup. Like those are four hitters. Four really, really good hitters. Yeah. It's just every, and Marsh, I guess we'll put in Marsh is, conversation Marsh is, too. Marsh is still like not really like a better than league average bat right now. He's just, Correct. He, he's becoming that. Top five, good. Bottom five, bottom four, atrocious, Bad. like not Major League Baseball players. Juan Ligaris was playing a lot and hitting in spots that you never thought you'd see him hitting again. Five, six, seven. Wasn't he like a leadoff one time last week? He led off with Joe Madden was there. Right. Which, that's, that's another whole story with the Angels and not understanding how leadoff gets the most at-bats. Why is Mike Trout or Shohei Otani not leading off? Digress, not our problem. The Mets beat them, so ha, too bad. But in this game... Did not. They did not. They messed up Carlos Carrasco. Yeah, he got touched up by all those guys that we just mentioned. And this is kind of a good lesson for ourselves as Mets fans, fans, us podcasters, like yeah. not getting ahead of ourselves. Like, Carlos Carrasco has been really good and a saving grace for the team this year. Probably one of the three most important players in the whole roster to this point, Definitely. I would probably say. Like, yeah. him, him, Pete, maybe Edwin Lindor kind of in that mix, but I think Carrasco, Pete are definitely driving this train as the most critical Mets right now. He was still good-ish, but this is just kind of the line that Carlos Carrasco walks where his stuff is just okay, not the level it once was, and he's a guy who needs to place his pitches in the right spots to be very successful. And there was an instance of this right off the bat, first inning, had Otani down 0-2 in the first, tried to elevate the fastball, Really was just at his belt, and it was eviscerated. Yep, and then you saw it happen with Trout, too. One-two pitch, changeup, yep. kind of just like just not caught, great. It was like low-ish, kind of caught a little too much play. Trout was able to go down and get that because he's one of the greatest hitters of all time. That Otani first inning, that was a double, not a home run. Okay. Misspoke. Yeah. The home run was, I think, in the fourth inning later in the game. That was a first pitch slider that was just kind of backed up on him, sat middle-middle. It's what happens when you face two of the best players in all of baseball. You make a mistake. They are going to make you pay. That's why they're some of the best. But with that... Carrasco did miss those spots, two very good hitters, and that's unfortunate. But otherwise, he was good. He had, I think it was 19 whiffs or 18 whiffs. He had 7 Ks. Now, I'm not worried about this, but this is just kind of the line, that, again, that Carlos Carrasco is going to walk. There's going to be a few pitches a game that are going to change his entire line and his entire success in that particular outing. 
And that sucks. It's, that's just because he doesn't throw 97 miles an hour. His slider isn't like this wipeout, crazy sweeping pitch. His changeup doesn't have plus-plus movement with velocity difference. He's not really going to be able to get... I don't, the word isn't lucky. He's not going to be able to succeed as much when he's not executing as other guys who have stuff like that. Definitely. So he's going to walk a line. This one was just a little bit on the other side of that. Game earlier in the week was on the other side of that. For sure. Not worried about him. Not worried about Carrasco. Jake Reed came in. He got crushed. Chazen Shreve came in. He got crushed. He's been struggling. I think yeah, he's yeah. kind he's, of... He's here to pitch when we need someone to pitch. Exactly. Good on Buck for using those guys too because yeah. really just don't want to use any usable pitchers in this game. Cool, though. Khalil Lee, who got the call up, of course, uh, he got his first home run of his career. He crushed it to left center field. The dude's got silly pop. It's always just been a matter of whether or not he can actually put it all together. But you see when he hits the ball, it was pretty far. Yeah, and Jeff McNeil also had a very, very sick outfield assist at home plate on Otani earlier in this game. Yeah, Hosed them in right field. So Jeff McNeil does it all. Khalil Lee home run. Overall, though, this game was a poop fest. But to wrap up the series, to wrap up the West Coast road trip, which, by the way, I don't know if you guys have realized how much the Mets have been on the West Coast recently. If it feels like a lot, you would be correct because the Mets in the last month have played five series on the West Coast. We had the Giants, Rockies, Dodgers, Padres, Angels. In case you're wondering, the Mets last 22 games. 16 of them have been played on the West Coast. They've had six games at home of the last 22 and that was when we swept the Phillies and the Nationals. And over the stretch, I mean, the Mets have done... Dominated. Pretty well. Not dominated. Well, good. Really well. That That's well those, over 500. Yeah, well over 500. And at times this series, especially after game two, people were ready again to say the season's over, just like that stupid Alden Gonzalez tweet of a non-Met fan. But there were some Mets fans who were, you know, freaking out. And we get it. The Braves and Phillies... Phillies lost today. The Braves have not yet lost in the month of June, but that's, as we know, Sal Licata's fault. All Sal Licata's fault. Since Sal Licata opened his mouth a week and a half ago, those teams have combined for one loss. Which is crazy. It yes. doesn't even make any sense. But also, they're playing nobody. They're playing the Pirates and the Cubs. Yeah, Diamondbacks. Diamondbacks. Like, all the teams that we are also going to beat I up I believe on. the Rockies. Yeah, I think they've been we already beat up on. Yeah, like, these are all teams we're going to get to play at points if we have not yet done so. I understand they've gotten closer, but really, at the end of the day, a 5-5 five and five road trip against... The really good Dodgers, a strong Padres team, and even though the Angels have stunk, if you look before that losing streak, they were leading the AL yeah. West by a good chunk. I just need some sleep. They, we got to get these games back in the East Coast. Joe DeMeo had a good tweet earlier this weekend that after this stretch, the Mets, I think, only have two games that are throwing first pitch after 8, 10 p.m. the rest That's of the season. Sick. That's Thank so sick. Thank God. I am so tired. My sleeping schedule is always pretty horrible, but when my night kind of ends at midnight of, like, brain activity, because usually those last few hours, I'm shut off. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a different kind of tired at 2 a.m. than when I'm just up until 2 a.m. Oh, my God. No more late night discords with the boys. Midnight Mets. Midnight Mets is probably over. I'm going to miss the Midnight Mets. We might have one more Midnight Mets, like, late in the year, an ESPN in- game or something. Or Oakland. Oakland, we'll get three more games in September. The Mets go to Oakland for a three-game set in September for no reason. Schedule makers are just absolute <sighs> terrible. Remember Nick Pollock told us just like that couple? No, it's not them anymore. But it was. It was them, <laughs> and they did a great job. This <laughs> new people are terrible. Them back. Get, get the, the couple. couple back. Anyway, uh, any more comments about the road trip? I think it was just at, like basically as good as we even could have expected, as crazy as that sounds. The Mets went through this entire road trip, 10 games, 10 o'clock at night. Against two pretty good teams, one not so good team with really good players, with not that much starting pitching. They were missing two of their better bats for a small chunk of it at the end, and you split it. Here's a really fun stat 
the Mets against teams over 500 are 23 and 14, which is like almost the most games I think played against teams over 500 in baseball. Their 23 wins is almost as many games that the Braves have played against teams over 500 this year. The Braves nice. have played 26 games against teams over 500. Of course, this number changes because now the Braves are over 500. The Phillies were over 500 for a little bit. These things can fluctuate. Since the Phillies are back under 500, actually they went 500 today, okay. but still the Braves haven't played a team over 500 since May 18th insane that's ridiculous How and, they, that and they have three more games this week they're gonna they, go a full month by playing no teams over 500 they won the world series last year well it's, baseball's not like football where the schedule is structured based on what like how well you did every in your division you basically play the exact same teams everyone's yeah. playing the exact same games some are different home and road and in your interleague stuff but you're playing every team in the national league for two series you're playing your division 18 times a pop like this is pretty structured strength of schedule there's nothing to fret about mets still have a five and a half lead over the atlanta braves nine game lead over the phillies so funky stat here this road trip ended did five and five 500 some other people will call it has some people being disappointed that this Mets team had split their last 10 games while the Braves have won 11 in a row which is just ridiculous but if the Mets literally sitting here right now on June 13th play 500 ball the rest of the season they'll end this gear with 90 wins yeah which I mean that probably won't win you the division but that'll put them like right at their number that Vegas gave them before the season that will most likely get you into these new expanded playoffs I'm not saying that's what I expect or that's what I hope for, but literally the Mets have the Mets have played so well this year so far that 500 baseball from here on out on June 13th still gets you the 90 wins and still gets you in the playoffs and might even win you the division and that's without Jacob Degrom and not a whole lot of Max Scherzer either this nope. year. Pretty impressive. Yet people were still ready to say the sky is falling. That being said, we know that's not the case. It's crazy how one win in a series will make you change that, and I think everyone's feeling good again, which is nice. We want people to feel good. That's what we're trying to do here with the Messed Up Podcast. Make sure you guys know, it's going to be okay. This mess team's good. And 100th episode, we're here to have some fun. 100th episode, we're here to have some fun. Good segue, James. That was very pro, because I've got some funny 100th episode nonsense for you guys that I'm just going to spew for a little bit here. This one was all Mark. Mark got deep into the baseball research before when he was in the bathroom. So the Mets' 100th game was on July 28th, 1962 at Old Bush Stadium. They won 9-8 for their 26th win of the season. Their record at the time was 26-74. and 74. So this is better than that. The Mets the podcast through 100 episodes significantly better than the Mets organization through 100 games. Yes, the Mets, the Mets the are 116-107 and 107 through our first 100 episodes. Yes. Which is a 52% win percentage, by the way. So that's way better than the Mets were at this time. And way better than the Mets probably for the franchise. Oh, for, oh, for sure. The so, Mets, another good one for us. Another good one for us. More fun facts about this 100th game. Jay Hook started the game for the Mets on the mound, which is a funny name. A guy who didn't pitch very much. They went up 3 nothing and then gave up 5 runs in the 4th to go down. A guy by the name of Gene Woodling pinch hit in the 5th inning. Hit a 2-run pinch hit home run. And the Mets struck out one batter the entire game. <laughs> gave up 3 home runs. They gave up more home runs than they struck out. Willard Hunt. Hunter came in in the ninth inning after relieving for a guy I don't remember his name. He walked the first batter he faced, and they said, that's enough. They took him out of the game. <laughs> he not, faced, not, not allowed anymore. Faced one batter, walked him, took him out of the game. Like we said, the Mets won. How about the Mets to win their 100th game? You ready for this one, guys? It took the Mets until their third season to win their 100th game. They won it on May 15th, 1964 against the San Francisco Giants, to which the Mets held Willie Mays, who was hitting 430 at the time, Orlando Cepeda and Willie McCovey, three future Hall of Famers, to an 0 for 11 on the day. Charlie Smith, big double in the eighth to get a win against Don Larson, this team. Really? Don Larson? Don Larson on the Giants. This team was full of names. Felipe and Matty Alou. We just named some Hall of Famers. Some other names you guys would recognize as well. That was the Mets 100th win. Now, there have been 15 Mets who have hit more than 100 home runs in their career as a Met. James, I'm going to give this to you. 
gonna let you try to name some of them. You have them? Yeah, I have. Oh. I have the names. Okay. Um, Daryl Strawberry. Yes. David Wright. Yes. Pete Alonzo. Yes. Dave Kingman. Yes. Mike Piazza. Yep. Ooh, now we're getting tough. Now we're getting some tougher ones. Agardo Alfonso. Agardo Alfonso. How many more are there? There are I have well, six. You have six, so you have nine left. Oh my god! I'll just read the rest off. Yeah, here. okay. I, th- I thought that was pretty good. Ed Cranepool. Yeah. Just Howard Ed. Johnson. Hojo. Kevin McReynolds. Todd Hundley. I was gonna say Hundley. Jose <gasps> Reyes snuck in there with 108. Carlos Beltran. Carlos Delgado had 104. Lucas Duda with 125. And Conforto with 132. So the Mets have had 15 players hit 100 or more home runs as a New York Met. They've had three pitchers win 100 or more games. You can guess all three of these. You think? Oh, definitely. With the team? With the team. Seaver? Yep. Kuzman? Yep. Come on. Old or new? Old. Old guy? Yeah. Seaver, Kuzman. Oh, uh, Doc. Yeah, Doc. Okay, those yeah. are the three. Yeah, yeah. Those nice. are the three. The Mets... 100th free agent signing in their history. I went deep. Shout out to ultimatemets.com, by the way. This website is sick. You guys should go on if you're really into just finding out any information on the New York Mets. I could find every free agent, every trade, whatever they've done in their entire history. Sick. So their 100th free agent signing was a guy by the name of Brett Butler, nicknamed Bugsy. He finished his career, shockingly, with a 50 war, which is kind of crazy for a guy I've never heard of. Good. He was a decent little hitter. 290 average, 377 on base. Didn't hit for any power, but he finished with a career OPS of 753 and a 110 OPS+, which is a pretty solid career for a guy. Yeah. Only played 90 total games with the Mets, but he was actually better than his career averages. A difference than what we normally see with Mets players. That's job, Bugsy. They ended up trading him in August for Scott Hunter and Dwight Manis, who never did anything. They were career minor league players, so still got a little bit of the Mets, you know, flair and pizzazz on it. But that was an interesting one. And then 100th trade in Mets history happened on March 27th, 1979. Shout out to an old episode we did on here of the all-time most Mets Mets. The Mets traded Nino Espinosa, who was on your team, for Richie Hebner and Jose Moreno. Richie Hebner, who had a really nice career with the Pittsburgh Pirates, mostly. Jose Moreno, I don't know much about. Neither do I, but hey, shout out me, Nino Espinosa. Second Nino Espinosa mentioned in the Mets Up podcast. No other Mets <laughs> podcast has mentioned him once. There's Nino no way. Nino Espinosa. And then just for some other ending facts here, again, shout out to UltimateMets.com for all the Mets stats that we did just get. We have covered a total of 223 New York Mets games. It's kind of a lot. Over that time, the Mets are 116 and 107, which is a 52% win rate. Said that before. And 103 players have played for the Mets during that time. Nice. That's it's crazy. We're almost one to one with Mets up episodes and Mets on the team. Oh no, wait, it's not gonna be 103. I miscalculated. Why? Because I didn't think of the guys who played on the team last year, too, that are still on this roster. Oh, you doubled up? Oh, I doubled up. Oh, it's wrong. Wrong. Keep that one out. We're going to leave that in, though. Yeah, that's funny it. that I messed that one oh, up. That's okay. Good. I mean, good on you for realizing that. Good on me. You know, it's hand, probably somewhere in like the 70s. I think 70s or 80s. Okay. Yeah, 70s or 80s. A lot of Mets players have come through in our 100 episodes. I think last year was the most players ever the Mets used in a single year. Mets used, I believe, 61 last year. Yes. I think that's a real Yeah, one. we did the Sporkle. So that's it for the 100 episode trivia. Let's go ahead and wrap it up here with a little bit of a mailbag and then a Brewers preview. James, you want to read off uh, one of our first questions here from the viewers on Twitter, at MetsUp. Make sure you tweet us, follow us, everything, so you can get involved. So 100th episode, it's going to have a little fun here. Monday morning, want everyone have a good week out there. Matt Young at Matt Young 547 he said, hey, guys, congrats on episode 100. Thank, Thank you. you, Matt. I got a fun question for tonight. If you could take any former Met in the prime of their career and put them on this 2022 Mets roster, who would it be and why? And I have my answer, but I want to hear yours. I think the no fun answer is Tom Seaver. 
I mean, you have like one of the best pitchers in baseball history. That's not what I was going to say. And the Mets could use a little more starting pitching. It'll never be a problem. That's the boring one, I think. Mine is Mike Piazza because he's my favorite player of all time, and the Mets do have a glaring hole at the catcher position. I would blatantly say it has to be the David, the best version of David Wright, like 2007. So you would get like yeah. a 30, 30, third baseman with elite defense at third base, a guy who can hit in the middle of this order, right-handed bat, a lefty crusher the Mets desperately need. It, it depends that what Mike you Piazza want. isn't all those things, of yeah. course, but I, I'd rather get DW in that's, here. That's the difference between my guy and your guy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a Piazza guy, you're a David Wright guy. We both like both of them. Oh, love them both. Love them both. Would be great to meet either of them. Saw David Wright make it appear. Appearance uh, with Darren from the Seven Line this weekend. He was shown on TV and during Saturday night's game, I believe. Yeah, so yeah. lucky. That's sick. Love to meet David Wright. I miss David Wright at the bar in um in Santa Monica in March. Apparently, by like twenty minutes, it was like a New York bar. I was there watching March Madness with some friends, oh. and I was wearing my Mets hat. Some guy's like, "Hey, you're a Mets fan out here too." I was like, "Yeah, I'm just visiting." He's like, "You'll never believe who was just here." I was like, "Who?" He was like. David Wright left 20 minutes ago. I was like, shut the fuck up. My soul would leave my body. I, I don't. I think I would just like get into a slump and be like, I can't believe I missed The him. worst part was this guy sat down and had a conversation with me and my friends for like 25 minutes afterwards about nonsense Mets stuff. He had like oh. pictures of him and Harvey like, that he met <laughs> from like years ago talking about all this crazy stuff from the 90s. I was like, you already broke my heart and now you're like ruining my meal. <laughs> Thanks a lot, man. Thanks, man. But yeah, if the, we, the Mets could have any player, I guess, in their history, Seaver probably is chalk. Yeah. But also, if they could get if they can get 30, 30, 300 David Wright, I would take that. Be pretty good. Yeah, I would, would I help would the like. team a little bit. I like. I like for sure. All right, you take the next one. Uh, this one comes in from Heim Moisha Zaltzman. Man, I might really just butchered your name. Can I, I see? apologize. Oh, God. Who is it? I would say Heim Moish Zaltzman. Okay. Do you think that Alonzo will be a Met for life? And do you think he will set the all time home run record? So I'm assuming you mean all time Mets home run record. I, I assume Pete Alonzo is going to be relatively a Mets for life. I don't know about his later years, but I do think that the Mets are going to keep him at first base as long as he wants to be here. I think they will pay him a fair price. I mean, we just saw Matt Olson sign for $20 million a year, who's one of the premier first basemen in the league too. First basemen just don't get paid major, major money. As long as Pete wants to be here, I think the Mets will be happy to keep him. Yeah, for sure. And he probably lines up as a guy who will get an extension soonish, sooner yeah. rather than later. But I also question whether a guy like Pete, who seems to be more financially savvy, I say in the average baseball player, seems yeah. like he has more has found more streams of revenue and income than most other players have. I hope that doesn't click in as a guy who says, oh, it's financially prudent to test free agency. Yeah. I hope that doesn't happen. Oh, yeah, I would love for Pete to never smell free agency. I don't even want him to get a whiff. And as long as he is on the Mets for an extended period of time, I do think he'll break the all-time Mets home run record, which I believe is by Strawberry 252 and Alonzo's at 125 or 124 right now. Pete could make that before before he's actually a free agent. Yeah, yeah. like literally. Like that, that could happen very soon, and I would really hope it would happen. Yeah, we're looking like three years from now, Pete, Pete catching that one. Yep. So I hope so. Here's a funny question from Brandon Nemo Stan. Like Nemo, like the fish Nemo. So shout out Nemo Stan. What's your guys' favorite place to sit in the ballpark? So obviously, you sit behind home plate. Close if, as you if, can, I guess. If, if you've got unlimited money. I would sit behind home plate, or, row one. Or unlimited balls. Yeah, do whatever you would like there. But honestly, best bang for your buck, favorite place to sit. I really do like the 300s. Yeah, it's a great seat. It's very like private, but mm-hmm. also still has vibes, yeah, if that makes you, sense. There's a bar, the Hornitos bar in either, on both lines, first and third base. You have adequate bathrooms there. Great you, bathrooms. Great bathrooms. They have a couple different places to get to get beverages, a couple different places to get food. You the have club the Piazza inside. Club, yeah. yeah. And if there's a possible inclement weather night, you have the... You have the thing over your head just in case. I also think the 400 section right above that's kind of underrated. Because yeah. there's always just... 
the upper deck breeds a different kind of fan. I'm an upper deck man myself. I spent a lot of time in the upper deck at City Field. It's a nice place to watch the game, I think. And the 400s, you still get a very good view of the field with a good vantage point. Those are the real fans up in yeah, the 400, the 500 folks. levels. Those are the real Mets fans. 300s, though, if I had to pick, or I should say, if I was a family on a budget. I would like to sit in the 300s because you still get a really good view, too. And no one, sometimes when you're lower, someone's head could block you. Yeah. I feel like the way that the seats are like inclined, you'd never get blocked. And as a short guy to the field, there's a lot of sections, especially the first row of most sections, where the rail just kind of winds up right in between. You have to do the thing where you like sit up. Yeah. You sit up and lean forward, and the glass is there, too. So that 300s, like anywhere from like the fifth to the 10th row, that's a great place to be. Definitely. I think me and you are kind of on the same page there. We'll answer a few more questions here. All right, let's have some fun ones here. This one comes from Plumber Season at Zap. 6602 formerly zap nutty really oh yeah. okay i didn't realize yeah, that. he's a regular oh he's a regular awesome how do you two know each other we'll answer that one first uh we lived in the same town we grew up mm-hmm. in the same town together and went to high school together mm-hmm. so and yep. our dads relatively know each other brooklyn stuff yeah they're, they're from the same area in brooklyn they were able to like do the thing where like you know this guy you ever go to this place you ever do that thing and you can kind of get like most of them what does james do for a living no comment. <laughs> none of your guys' business. <laughs> no, I mean, none of your, I mean, I'm changing jobs soon. That's fun. So we'll, we'll get. We'll, I'll talk more about that when it becomes public knowledge. There'll be a couple of announcements coming from me the next week, which is kind of hysterical. Yeah, I'm is, a person who announces things. I never thought awesome. I'd be a person who announced anything. Yeah, but oh, you're gonna have multiple announcements. I'm, I'm doing. I'm gonna be doing some cool things in the next few months. It's gonna be a crazy summer for James. So it's gonna be exciting to not have to ever talk about the job I once had again. And then the last one, favorite player from a division rival. He's a big Gio Gonzalez guy. That's crazy. I'd be like saying I'm a big John Lannon guy. Honestly, I think my favorite player that has been on like Mets, Marlins, Nationals, or Phillies, I'm going to go with uh, Andres Galarraga. Big Andres Galarraga wow. guy when he played with the like, Braves. Like pity for the perfect game? No, no. That's Armando oh, Galarraga. I'm thinking yeah. of Big Cat. Okay. Andres Galarraga. I don't know. I just remember that dude hitting some monster home runs. And even though he killed the Mets, I always appreciated how good he was. He was with like those late 90s, early 2000s Braves. See, my answer is going to be kind of chalky, but I, I kind of just love Jazz Chisholm so much. Jazz is fun. Like he's, and I don't even really consider the Marlins a rival to the Mets yet because they've never, they've never hurt me in any yeah. kind of way. Like I would never say a Philly. I would only say Harper because I think he was like drastically underrated. I I want to love Harper, but because like, he's on the Phillies, it, it, it breaks yeah. my heart because I would love to root for him if he played in like Seattle. I love his game. I think Bryce Harper again is criminally underrated in baseball. He's literally he's gonna you're gonna look back and be like that was one of the best players we ever saw. Yeah, it's like wow, I can't believe I missed that. Came up when he was 19, never done anything wrong. It's ridiculous, but I kind of like him just for the funny thing that. He was a national, and there were like clubhouse issues that may or may not have been a part of him. He left, and they immediately won a World Series, and the Phillies still can't climb over eighty-three wins. That which is, is th- that part was really fun. But Jazz is Jazz is sick, and I have no, I have no hate for the Marlins. I also I grew up loving Dontrell Willis. Dontrell was also I fun. loved Dontrell growing up. I hope I hope this comes across Dontrell's desk because I know he's MLB MLB media guy. Dontrell, follow me on Twitter, please. I'll change my name. Dontrell's used my fine wine exactly word for word before. Doesn't follow me back. I, I see you, Dondre. Your I fine you. wine? My fine wine quote. Was that? Like a fine wine. He only gets better with age. Justin Verlander. Oh. He's used oh, it yeah. on Justin Verlander, you, too. You invented that one. I invented it for Justin Verlander. That's all I'm That's saying. That's fucking bullshit. That's yeah, all me. I'm picking two Marlins. Jazz, because he's, like, truthfully, by far the coolest player in baseball right now. And Dontrell from back in the day. Yeah, Andres Galarraga for me. And then last question we will answer here to wrap up the mailbag and then go into the preview. This one comes from I Love My Uncle Steve at Schroeder Greg. Best tasting milk after finishing cereal. This has nothing to do with baseball whatsoever. Greg seems to like Cinnamon Toast Crunch Milk. I'm going to let you take this one first. I don't really love Cinnamon Toast Crunch Milk, honestly. I think it kind of misses me at some point in the loop. My favorite milk after cereal has to be, no doubt about it, 
cocoa puffs. That's cool. You're just you're just dropping chocolate milk. My new cereal thing that I've been doing, not, not new, I'm doing it since college, but I will just straight up buy chocolate milk and do my cereal with chocolate milk. That's that's like so crazy unhealthy for you. I'm shocked. I rip. I'll do like I'll rip chocolate milk and regular Cheerios with a banana. Ooh, okay. It's, it's not bad. I, it's like not really a breakfast, more of a snack. Yeah, that is more of a snack. Maybe sometimes I'm really trying to get like a little hearty. I'll throw a scoop of peanut butter in there too. Get that all mixed together with the chocolate milk. It is delightful. But standard milk, post cereal, cocoa puffs all the way. I am intolerant to lactose, so I'm yeah. Not well, a me big, too. I'm talking about almond milk, I'm, so oat milk. I'm not a big milk guy. I was never a big milk or cereal guy either. But if I did indulge with milk and cereal, cinnamon toast crunch was the goat. I agree with you. Really? Jack. Great. See, I had a bad experience with cinnamon toast crunch when I was a kid. Okay. So I'll delve into that really quickly. My uh, my mom is very, very hyper-focused on nutrition. She loved my mom for this. She would like go out to like Park Slope to get me organic like sweet potatoes when, oh I was, like, when I was an infant growing up in Brooklyn. But one night, my parents left my sister and I at my grandma's house to go to a wedding or a party or a show. I don't remember what, but I was maybe six. My sister was maybe two. And we were hanging out, and my grandma, just being a good grandma, gave all the treats to the kids. Of course. She had Cinnamon Toast Crunch. And it touched my lips, and I, I, I couldn't even believe the euphoria I was experiencing. <laughs> so I, I probably put down almost the entire box of Cinnamon Toast Crunch after 9 p.m., after dinner, as a six-year-old. Oh, my God. Sharing a bed with my little sister. Woke up in the middle of the night, not feeling that well. Yacked, literally, all over her. <laughs> in the middle of the night, Grandma had to clean it up, change the seats, had to sleep somewhere else. I had to take a shower. She had to get the whole body scrub. I didn't eat Cinnamon Toast Crunch after that. For over 10 years. That's... Probably until I like got to college. Oh, man. Cinnamon Toast Crunch is fantastic. Well, now I realize I like it now and appreciate it, but I can never put it as like a favorite because I have a traumatic experience. Because I, ne- I never had access to it. I had one piece, and I was like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. It's incredible. It, it's, it's delicious. I was going to call it something else, but it's delicious. It's awesome. All right. That was the mailbag. We had some fun. Episode 100 mailbag. Let's go ahead and wrap it up here with a Brewer's Preview. The Brewers have not been playing well. No, the Milwaukee Brewers actually just broke. This is very uncharacteristic of the Brewers. One of the model franchises in the league over the last, I don't know, five-ish years since they made that deep run when the Dodgers beat them. I feel like that's kind of like put them on the map as being a team that's consistently solid. Yeah. They just broke an eight-game losing streak on Sunday. That included the Phillies. I think the Nationals were involved. Like, they've not been playing very good baseball. They have won two of their last ten games, and they are no longer in first place in the National League Central. They are a half game behind the St. Louis Cardinals, which is nonsense. It's a half game. Yeah. But this is the first time that they've, I believe, dropped out of first place this year, or at least in some time this year. It feels like the first time in years they've dropped out of that place. Yeah. They have been a very good team, but this team has been struggling. They just haven't played a lot of good baseball. They also just, they the Brewers kind of go into every single season being like a piece or two short, and that comes from their financial, I don't want to, like, ramifications of just having a team in Milwaukee. It doesn't... They, they just don't put that much money into the team, and you really feel for a guy like David Stern, such a talented executive. If only he could come to a team with, like, a blank checkbook, see the kind of amazing things he could do, but he has a job. Can't talk about another man's job like that. As soon as you lose. We'll never do that, but, like, the Brewers signed Andrew McCutcheon to be a middle-of-the-order bat, and he's hitting, like, barely 200. Like, yeah. he had, like, an 0-for-32 streak mixed in. Keston Hira, very sadly, has just not developed the way a lot of people thought he was a couple of years ago. Lorenzo Cain's aging kind of as we expected. Christian Yelich is some guy in between the guy who was the last two years and the guy who was three years ago, which is still a good ball player, but not the guy you're paying 30 mil a year, whatever he makes. I feel like he always comes to City Field and plays well, though, and he does still hit the ball really hard. And he so. still is a good ball player overall. He does a lot of things well, runs the bases, plays defense. Base running discourse was prominent on Twitter this week for some reason, which is stupid. Ridiculous. You should never really consider guys base running value unless you're like really trying to split the tiniest of hairs ever should be like the 45th thing you look at on a guy's like fan graphs or staff savant page but like they play jace peterson all the time like thank god for rally telez he's been like what their most 
their, their best hitter this year. Best guy, power hitter. Omar Nervaez is all around really, really good yeah. behind the plate. Luis Urias is really good, too. Very good uh, breakout bat. He plays all over the infield. Good defense. A little power. A little plate discipline. Steal some bags. Kind of totally flipped that Trent Grisham, Grisham trade on his head, which yeah. is really funny. Being something that the Padres took advantage of the Brewers. And then 18 months later, the Brewers just bamboozled the Padres. And to be fair, the big thing always with the Brewers has been their pitching. Yes. The last few years, it's been pitching, pitching, pitching. They had the three-headed monster last year of Burns, Woodruff, and Peralta. Woodruff and Peralta, luckily for us, on the IL, so we yeah. are missing those guys. Mm-hmm. Are we missing Burns? We're catching Burns. We're catching Burns now? Yeah. Oh, that's unfortunate. But and, and Ashby. Oh, Ashby's looked really big, good, too. Big breakout. But Burns hasn't been as sharp as he was last year. No. He still like has been statistically one of the 10 best pitchers in baseball, but it's not like unhit, super unhittable Corbin Burns like last year. And I do think this Mets lineup is a lot tougher on pitchers than it has been in the years past. Especially if you, I guess, Burns fight off a few pitches, see what happens. He has had control issues in the past. They haven't been prevalent since he got good, but like he's not unhittable right now. It's not impossible. No. What are the exact pitching matchups looking like for us this week? Off day today, so Mets fans can finally relax. You know, sleep in if you can, if it's possible for you. But on Tuesday, Chris Bassett against Adrian Hauser. Nice. Wednesday, probably some combination. I mean, Right now, ESPN lists Peterson and McGill separately. Not exactly sure how the Mets are going to go about this. Maybe check Fangraphs. Fangraphs schedule is usually a little more consistent, too. So they have them split as Peterson throwing Wednesday, McGill throwing Thursday. Peterson against Burns. That's going to be a game on Fox, too, so be advised for that. And then Thursday, another night game, McGill versus Ashby. I don't really know how it's going to wind up working itself out. I I can kind of see the Mets being more creative with that. Maybe not really disclosing until we get closer to those games, but... The game we definitely know the matchup is Hauser versus Bassett on Tuesday, and we definitely know we're going to see Corbin Burns on Wednesday and Aaron Ashby and his devastating two-seam fastball on Thursday. All their pitchers are solid. Yes. Pitching is their strong suit. They have a great bullpen. We just got to hit. Yeah, and Ashby is a young pitcher, second year in the league. His results have been kind of up and down, even though the stuff is very consistently good. So maybe catch a stinker. Who knows? Which would be great. We could, I could use catching a stinker. He's a lefty, though. Yeah. Must struggle against lefties. It hits Sandoval enough. 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 I guess that's really also all we need to do against the Brewers, who, again, lineup has not been as strong as we've seen in years past. And we're going to see Josh Hader probably at least once in this series. He gave up his first earned run of the year last week. Which is crazy. His first earned run since, I believe, July of 2021. It's crazy. Almost on a full calendar year without giving up a run. He's so disgustingly good. He's just like... If you don't think he's the best reliever in baseball, you're on drugs. Oh, no. We're talking to our friend Ernie underscore subtape, who for years was trying to convince us that Liam Hendricks was better. And it's even crazy. if Liam Hendricks is better, like he's being managed by a team who uses pen and pencil. And Josh Hader's being managed by a team that's like, these guys know quant finance. Like, yeah. it's, it's, it's two different galaxies, the Brewers and the White Sox. Luckily, the Mets are catching them playing bad baseball. And yeah. I do think the Mets are a better team than the Brewers on paper, whatever way you want to look at it. I think they're at least, this Mets team, without their two best starting pitchers, I don't think they're a better team on paper than the Brewers. Okay. I think maybe the Mets at full strength are, but I think this this week it's a pretty pretty even. Yeah, I think the Mets will be all right. Win the series. Win the series. Two of three is so easily Just doable. Keep We've doing been it. doing it all year. Knock them off. We're due for a poop fest. We know how that It'll works. Be one. Maybe we can avoid one. That'd be cool. That'd be sick. It'd be cool, but now we're just looking at this. I know every single time we said this last few episodes, we kind of jinxed it, but like looking at that Corbin Burns David Peterson game makes me just shit a brick. Yeah, it doesn't feel great. No, I don't like that. But I mean the other ones. That's the worst matchup that we definitely have. And like you said. That's statistically one of the worst matchups the Mets can come across on their schedule the whole year. Yeah. I don't know how many pitchers Ben and Corbin Burns are going to see, and, and Peterson, while he's been good, he's probably statistically our lowest ceiling starting pitcher right now. And also, if there is one thing that the Brewers are going to do well, it's going to be hit left-handed yeah. pitching because they have Willie Adamas, Hunter Renfro, Lorenzo Cain, Andrew McCutcheon. Yeah. Those guys all crush left-handed They just stacked line with them. Well, yeah, we also should we didn't mention um, Adamas. Yeah. Because he's not a lie. He's, he's been so good. Yeah, no, he's back now, though, I think. He's you back know, in healthy. Yeah, yeah, he came back this whole week. He had two home runs his first five games back. Got 
the guy at Tampa Bay just roping the ball. Very, very good player. But we'll see how it goes this week. Off day, like we said today, when you guys are listening. Three games, and then we play the Marlins for a four-game series. We'll make sure that after the next series, we've got another episode for you guys. As you know, episode 101 of the Mess Up Podcast will be the next one. If you guys are not yet following us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, follow the podcast, download it, share it, rate it, review it, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Messed Up. You'll be able to find us. Follow James on Twitter, at Jeter Had No Range. Follow me, at GiraffeNeckMark. And that's where we'll wrap it up, guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next time. Peace out. Peace out, guys. Thanks for listening.